Well, turn with me now back to Philippians chapter 2. We're, we're looking at the second part of, of running the race. Running the race and looking at some key marks of running the race and, the, and, and how do we plan on, on running a race. And so Philippians 2 verses 12 through 30 is what we're going to cover today. But, but before we... we we go there. I, I, I want to turn real quick to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, which for those who may or may not know, is also written by uh, Paul, and you, you see some of this this concept and theme of, of the race that Paul will carry through, carries it through. In, in well, I'm not sure if it's Paul in Hebrews, but in Hebrews we see the race, we see it in Philippians, we see it here in Second Timothy, but. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 7 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This is a great reminder because what we want to be careful is that we don't just get caught up in, in, in the law. We just don't get caught up in, in doctrine, theology, but we understand the, the bigger picture. We're, we're running a race. We're running the race of life. And, and like Paul, we, we want to be able to say, you know what? Um, I, I kept the faith. I ran a good race. I, I finished the course. I finished my course. And remember we talked about before that, uh, thank the Lord, it's not just about finishing first. Right? We don't have to finish first in the race of life. We just have to finish. We still medal. We still get to heaven. And so we see here again, well, what what is the underpinning or the foundation of running the race? And and again, here in Second Timothy four, we we get an idea. It's it's it it comes around this idea of of sound doctrine, of sound doctrine, not just wanting to to listen to the things that tickle your ears, the things that make you feel comfortable, right? That's not why we come to church. Uh, we come to church to to read from God's word to get instruction. And so when we come to Philippians 2 and we're looking at this idea of running the race, it's not your race. This is God's race. And so we want it to be our race. We want it to do, we want to do the race our own way. But, but God has a plan and, and, and he lays this plan or this pattern out and there's there's little marks and little indicators so that as we're running down this this trail or this pathway we don't get lost right 
And so our race, unlike just being on a track, which is perfectly clear and easy and you just go around in circles, our race looks more like mountain hiking, right? Where you, you start getting up in, into the brush and, and there isn't really necessarily a clear path or there, there are three clear paths. Which way do you go? And so that's what we're faced with constantly. So the plan for running comes from the word of God. And so your true wisdom isn't in challenging God or finding your own way, but your, your wisdom is staying on the path of righteousness. You show true maturity, true wisdom by, by just following God's paths and, and, and God's markers. So the marks of fighting the good fight then are, are and, and we've seen this already in, in Philippians 1, you know, live in such a way uh, that the world may know. It's, it's, so it's not, it's not, it's not law driven. Okay, we, we, we don't follow Christ. We don't live the Christian life as, as a religious um, process or a law driven process. Do you realize that the whole world, the whole world radically changed when, when Christ lived? When 12 people, after the death of Christ, 12 people then who, who watched a witness, and Paul says, you know what? We're going to live differently now. Not because of law, but, but as, a, as, a, as a love response to, to what Christ did. And, and, and Rome, the, the leader of the world, which is very, we've talked about this before, very, very similar today. You can believe in anything you want to believe. Any God you want to believe. You, you, you just can't only believe in one God. You've got to believe in all of them. And so our, we hear this every day now, right? Our strength is in our diversity, which has to be the dumbest ideology I've ever heard in my life. I don't, I don't care what you think. If you're, if you're building a Boeing plane, right? And the engineers get together and say, hey, in order for this plane to, to maximize its ability, there's strength in our diversity. Engineers, you guys do whatever you want. And the mechanics, you do whatever you want, right? And that plane will go. No, it won't go. And we're talking about brilliant and smart people who put this together, people who know what they're doing. No, you have to have a plan. You have to have a model, a design to follow. And we seem to forget that. And so in, in, in Rome, there was all kinds of different things. But what changed the minds of, of the people of the world? It was a new thing. Because remember, they had law. They had scriptures. The thing that changed everything was grace. Never before, I mean, the, the, this, this concept and idea that you are not perfect, that, that the standard isn't to be perfect, in, in fact, it's, it's almost a requirement to not be perfect. You have to be a sinner. In that sense, thankfully, we're all good sinners. Very well practiced. Um, 
Which means then we come to the throne. Remember we talked last week, the, the God's throne is the mercy seat. And so what changes everything, it wasn't how smart you are. It wasn't, and it, and it wasn't how much stuff you did. It wasn't about keeping all the law. It was about your need, your need, your desperate need for, for this free gift of grace. Your desperate need to be shown mercy by a living God. That's what attracted everybody. And everybody looks at that and is like, that's unbelievable because you know what? I'm a, I'm terrible. I, I'm a sinner. I've done stuff. Th- th- this matches. I, I can do that. I, I, I can follow this belief system and then become dependent upon that Savior. Uh, again, we call Jesus Christ our Lord, which is King, and our Savior. And we, we kind of just say this stuff like it, it, it's just a platitude, right? It's like, no, he is our king who we follow and obey. Our king who saved us because we're desperate sinners. Well, so I'm thinking about this, this race. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Tour de France. It's like the biggest bicycle race in the world that's going on right now. And what do they do? They race France. They, they, they have 22 individual races. They ride their bicycles throughout the whole you know, country of France. They even touch into some other neighboring countries as well. And they go up mountains and down cliffs and all kinds of crazy stuff. But this is the one cool thing about this race. There, there's, there's, they're all done in teams. So individually, there's, there's winners of different stages. There's an ultimate winner. But they all race in teams. Which is really interesting because we act like you're living life all by yourself, right? And, and it's like, well, wait a minute, you, you have a spouse, you have, you have family, you have friends, you have churches. There's a lot of people that should and want to be supporting you. And in this, this Tour de France, they even have little cars, the little, the little cars. In fact, you've seen Steve's car, right? They, they look just like Steve's car. And they're, they drive by and they have all kinds of stuff in the car. They have extra bikes. They have extra wheels. They have tools. They have energy bars, bananas, water. They have all kinds of stuff. Why? To support you during that race. Why? So that you can finish the race. They even have little headphones that will tell them and remind them, okay, we're getting ready to hit a turn. We're getting ready to hit a down. We're getting ready to hit an incline. There's a crash. There's a, all, all these little marks, all these indicators. Why? So that they finish the race. So that they run the race well. Well, the last two weeks, we've, we've looked at marks for running the race. Why? So that, so that we can have an actual plan for living our life. We, we, we need it. We desperately need it, right? And so when we come to Philippians 2, the, these are, are help aids for us. The first one we looked at was that, that pattern of unity. The second one we looked at was a pattern of, of humility. And today we're going to look at a pattern of labor and a pattern of leadership. And so again, remember, our pattern of unity, unity is in diversity, Unity is in, is in coming around and depending on the word of God and, and as it's described here, the gospel, right? We rally around the gospel. That's the anchor point. That's why Christ is the anchor of our soul. And then humility then becomes the secret sauce. 
How are we all with our different ideas and concepts and countries? How are we united? Well, with the secret sauce, which is by being humble, which means we defer at times to one another, right? When and how do we know when to defer? The word of God will tell us. And so again, both, both things, the unity and the humility are joined together. The key though here is it's not about you which is the hardest thing for us because we want everything to be about us. And, and, and it's hard. You know, we want to be autonomous. It starts when you're a little kid, right? You know, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm smarter than them. I know better. They're, they know, parents aren't, don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, uh, I remember my dad, you know, used to joke with me. Oh, man, I, I wish I was 16 again because I knew everything when I was 16, <laughs> you know. And at the time, I thought, yeah, you bet you do wish you were 16. <laughs> Again, more foolishness behind the statement, right? But it's not about you. See, the problem, and, and, and when you look at the United States right now, the United States, right? United States. The biggest problem we're really facing is, is that individuals want it to be about them. For, forget what it is for a minute. Just, just to understand, you've got a bunch of people now running around wanting the whole country to serve them. Whatever it is, whatever, if it's their race, if it's their religion, if it's their idea, whatever weirdo, psycho thing you can think of, if the whole country doesn't believe the way I believe, then they go crazy. Think about that just for a second. Um, well, we want to look at the third mark for in the race, which is there's, there's a plan to follow. And part of that plan is labor, labor, work. It's going to take some work. So back to, back to the book, Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you also as appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And so, this pattern then of, of labor, what, what does that mean? Well, first of all, understand who you're working for, right? Who you're working for. Uh, verse 13, for it is God who is at work with you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When you think about labor and you think about work, you know, you think about bosses and foremen, right? And, you know, who's the super on the job? Who's in charge? Who's, who's you know, telling us what to do here? Who are we working for? You know, and it's funny because you can go do something, you know, 
you know, for fun or on the side, and there's kind of what? No, no, no real boss, no supervisor, but somebody's leading the crew. Somebody's always leading the crew, right? What makes it even funnier is when like somebody shows up and then like thinks they're leading the crew and they're not even part of the crew. And instantly, you know what happens? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that at all. And, and part of that is we like order. We like order. We like leadership. And so, and, and the other part of it is when we're working and when we're laboring, um, it's not going to be easy. And, and it's going to require and take some humility because the workers may have skills and knowledge, but, but they're going to defer. They're going to show some humility and listen to the crew chief, right? Um, that's what a quote-unquote good soldier does. And so we're called all the time in the Bible to, to listen. We're called to be alert. But here we're, we're going to see something that's this, this call then to, to run, this, this call to work out. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we talk about the idea of work out your salvation with fear and trembling, remember, we're not talking about earning out your salvation. You can't earn it, okay? can't earn your salvation in any way, shape, or form. So, so let's make sure you understand. In the Greek, this, this term workout means bring something to fulfillment or completion. It has more that con that, that concept of sanctification, the, the process, the process of going from, from A to Z, right? The process of, of growing, the process of, of maturing. And so, you know, here's this free gift of grace. Uh, God has granted you grace. And so, you know, you're quote unquote, you're saved. Now we're going to see a working out, a development of that saving faith. And so you're to, you're to work this out with, with fear and trembling. Why fear and why trembling? Well, fear is, is the beginning of wisdom. And, 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 and maybe it's all tied in solely to human pride and autonomy. The prouder you are, the more autonomous you think you are, the more you think you're God, then you don't listen to anybody else, especially God. And so in a father-son relationship, you see, you know what? It is always a good thing to have fear and awe. Always a good thing. This is part of the problem when a young man gets to a certain age and he's not so sure that he has fear and awe anymore, right? And so he starts pushing the limits. He starts testing it. So I probably every family should have like a little boxing ring out in the back just to remind the kids, you know? You got to do it at the right age, though. Because <laughs> if they're really good wrestlers, that might be a problem, huh, Frank? <laughs> but all kidding aside, um, we, we are called. We're, we're, we're called to work it out. Part of it is, you know, you don't just stop and give up. It's like, hey, I, I, I'm saved. It's over. Game over. No, you're in a race. The, the on your mark, get set, Go. That's the beginning of the race, not the end of the race. Okay, so you have to continue to, to work out. What I like here too in, in verse 12 is, is remember, this is a good church. These are good people. 
These, these people aren't being rebuked. My beloved, just have you, you've always obeyed. This is an obedient church. Not, not only when I'm here. You're not only good when, I, when I'm here with you. You're good when I'm nowhere near you. I mean, th- these are, are good compliments. But, but still, even much more in my absence, keep working out your salvation. For it is God who is at work in you. Remember, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is at work in you, both to will and to work. Why? For his good pleasure. So, so do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why would we do anything grumbling? Because we don't get it. We don't like it. Or it's hard. Or we're in a trial or a struggle. Now, we just saw in Philippians 1 that, you know what, you're going to suffer for Christ's sake. You've, you've been promised you will have trials. You've been promised you will suffer. Why are we shocked? Well, when we set out the course of, of, of the map for the race and we talk about, okay, this hill here, it's a killer. It's steep. It, it, it's It's brutal. And then this, you think that's hard. Well, this one's not as steep, but it's twice as long. It's like, we promise you these are coming. And then you get there, it's like, what's with the hill? I don't get the hill, right? God is, 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 this isn't Sisyphus. You know, this isn't this this punishment that he's just going to roll this giant boulder down on you and you're going to push it up. And then, you know, right when you get to the top, it rolls back down. and, And this is just God laughing at us. No, that's the, the false gods. But, but part of life, part of the race is going to be this struggle. And so, and so work it out and do it without grumbling, without complaining. Work is not easier when you grumble and complain. Right? Has anybody found that to be true? Some of you have been on the earth a while, had some jobs. It's never fun working when you're grumbling and complaining (laughs) it's a lot funner and a lot of the hardest work you've done hard work you've found joy in it and so it's not about how hard it is but it's about your attitude behind the work verse 15 that you may prove yourselves proof to be blameless and innocent children of God Above reproach, we have opportunities to prove that we are children of God. This is one of those hard parts because it, 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 it indicates and it suggests that people will know who you are. They're going to know who your daddy is because of how you act, right? Right? And how do you act? Well, you act blameless and innocent. You, you're, you're, you're being obedient. You're, you're being humble. You're being submissive. These are then the marks of Christianity where people look at you and go, there's something different about that guy. He must be a Christian. Because that's how his father acts. That's how they talk. That, that's what they would do, right? And so you have an opportunity to prove yourself to be blameless and innocent Children of God above reproach. 
So you're above reproach. You're, you're, you're ab- above the claims of, of wickedness and, per- and perversion in, midst, in, in, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now think about this. It shouldn't be that hard to stand out in a crooked and perverse generation. Gut check time. If you don't stand out in this world, something's wrong. Right? Because you're supposed to be a child of God above that reproach. Not like them. You're not supposed to be like them. You're you're amongst unrepentant, twisted sinners. You should be different. The second part of verse 15, you should appear as as lights in the world. Notice the contrast. There's there's the, the darkness, the crooked and perverse, and then there's the light. We're, 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 people are supposed to run to us, run to the light. This is why the whole concept of, of debating and arguing, you know, with the veins popping out over the politics, it doesn't matter if you're right. If that's your attitude, you're not going to win anybody over. We're, we're called to be winsome in this dark and perverse world. And so winning people over appearing as, as lights, not blowtorches, right? Which is not always easy. Verse 16, holding fast. How do we do this? We hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the word of God. You know what? I don't know exactly how to respond to every situation as a parent, to every situation in business, to every situation Politically, personally, I don't know exactly what all the answers, but but God's word is sufficient. And so I come to God's word and and I seek its wisdom. Like she were treasure and and gold and pearls. We sang about that today. You go to the, the Proverbs and it reminds you over and over and over again. This is a treasure. So you want to know how to do this? Keep running to scripture. Hold fast. It, hold fast has that idea of cling on. Okay? Which means like if you're on a cliff and if you let go, you were going to die, right? You don't let go. You, you do not let go. You hold tightly. You hold closely. You don't close it up and put it on a bookshelf and let dust accumulate on it. That's not holding fast. That's not clinging to it. You know what you do? You read it. You memorize it. You meditate on it. You don't memorize things just to memorize words. This isn't Shakespeare. It's not cute. right? You memorize it because you need it to live on. This is your food, your sustenance. This is your power. This is your strength. Hold fast. Why? So that in the day of Christ, I may have cause to glory. Because I did not run, back to the race metaphor, I didn't run in vain or toil in vain. Paul's saying here, look, I I didn't run for nothing. I'm not running this race just because. I'm not struggling and suffering just because. 
No, there's a point. And that, that point is to honor and glorify Christ. The chief end of all men. Glorify Christ. Whether you eat or drink, whatever it is you do. And pain and suffering and glory and honor. You do it for the glory of God. Verse 17, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So here again, how, how do we... How do we labor? We, we, we labor by, by, by not complaining. We labor by shining. We labor by holding on. We, we labor by not, we, by not running just in vain. But we also understand, look, there, there's times and Paul's sitting here, look, even if I'm a, poured out as a drink offering upon you, when you had the sacrifices, the sacrificial sacrifices of the lamb being slain on an altar, there was always a, a, a drink with that, a drink offering. And so what Paul's saying here is, look, even, even if I have to be sacrificed, which again is the pattern of Christ, which we just read about, have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, although he existed in bodily form, did not regard himself as more important. But he released and emptied himself to become not just a man, but a bond servant. What was his, his service? To die on the cross for us. To pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so here's Paul saying the same thing. You know what? I'm willing to do the same thing. And so part of the, the, the mark for running is, is there's going to be there's going to be a pattern of labor. Labor will take on different forms. Don't grumble about it. Don't complain about it. Uh, don't, don't fall into the dark and perverse world. Be a light. Be a light. And so, the idea here is to get us ready. To get us mentally ready for this race. You know, Mental preparation for sports as is, is as important as the physical preparation. And, and we've seen this more and more over the years, you know, where, where there's more and more team meetings about the strategy and the philosophy of, of finding victory in sports. It's important. It's essential. And, and, and one of the keys is to have the right mindset, the right attitude. It's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. How do we live this life? If you wake up every morning and you think that life is all about you and that life is all about how you're going to be happy and complete and fulfilled, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening. I promise you. And... You've already experienced that. You already know that. Well, how do we make your joy complete? Isn't that really what we, we all want the answer to? How can I be happy? How can I make my joy complete? Well, Philippians 2 says it. By being united and humble. Well, no, 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 not that way. That's not what I meant. Oh, well, well Jesus, wait a minute. Jesus had something to say about that. Let's go to him. I don't know about this Paul guy. This guy's crazy. 
So let's go to Jesus. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Okay, take some notes here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You want your joy complete? Then your life will be wrapped around those things. Well, that wouldn't sound all that fun if not given the great reward at the end of the race. There's a lot of things you can do. And I love the metaphor here, and part of it's because I'm an athlete. But, you know, in this Tour de France I was just talking about there, you know, these guys fall off their bike and they break ribs. They break their, their tailbones. They break all kinds of body parts. And you know what they do? They get up, and unless somebody tells them they're not allowed to ride, they keep going. They keep going. They labor through. They endure it. And and that's just part of life. An NFL athlete, he's never healthy. I have a really good friend, and his son's um, in spring training right now, and everybody's hurt to some degree. The only things they list are like the things that are half-life threatening. Broken thumbs and dislocated fingers and they don't even count that you know but try brushing your teeth you know when your thumb's broken it's not so fun and so what we do so what we do then in our response to this labor is we get back to focusing on the pattern the marks of the race we get back to focusing then on on the gospel the sacrifices made for the gospel, the advances of the gospel, and ultimately then we find our unity in rallying around God's word. Because when we seek to find and label and list what pure joy is, uh, we don't go to James 1 traditionally, which says, (coughs) consider your trials pure joy. We don't go to Matthew 5 and Jesus when he says, blessed are the ones who are persecuted. We go to the dark and perverse and crooked world. Right? Now you're on the wrong track. Now now you've taken a turn on this road race and you stop and where where am I? And, And if you've ever been in in the hills of the mountains, it's real easy to get lost real fast. And then getting back on track is 10 times harder than the nice, easy drift to come off. So be careful. Be very, very careful. And these are our encouragements and warning signs that come from the Lord. And so next, next week we'll cover the final pattern, which is, Uh, following leadership. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the blueprint 